Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hello, Matthew. Um, my name is Patrick Moots, and I am the fortunate person to be the managing director of a little company in Western Australia called Image Resources. And Image Resources, in a nutshell, is a successful, profitable mining company. Uh, we mine and produce mineral sands products. We produce a heavy mineral concentrate. And we've been going at it about three years now very successfully, and now we're on to a growth strategy to, to take the company to the next level. Fantastic. Patrick, thanks for uh, jumping aboard. Um, we're looking forward to hearing about this one. You've been quite quiet, so we want to know more about you because you're, uh, you're making a lot of money. Market cap is seems steady state and share share chart also sort of steady state. So I want to want to sort of try and understand a little bit more about it. Why don't you kick off and help people new to what mineral sands is by just sort of defining defining that and also maybe the market environment in which that uh, lives. Happy to do that, but I'll, I'll make one comment. I think that one of the reasons that we've been a little bit quiet, as you say, I think my directors and my shareholders would agree with that is we had a strategy of starting small, staying small as far as people. And we've been so busy actually working at being successful and doing the things that we have been, we haven't paid enough attention to marketing. And that's one of the reasons I'm here today. And hopefully that's a benefit to your listeners because I think they'll hear the story and recognize that, hmm, these guys may just be undervalued. Now, as far as mineral sands itself, um, yes, that's, a, that's an interesting one. It is known and it is not so well known because it's not gold or iron ore. Some people really do wonder what is mineral sands all about. The simplest way to think about it is that we mine ancient beaches. This is, the, this is where they're buried down about 10 meters or 20 meters below the current topography. And the sands on these beaches have the eroded debris from the mountain chains in Australia, in our particular case, that contain two main uh, minerals, zircon and titanium dioxide. And those two are the products that are involved in our concentrate. Zircon is primarily used to make floor tiles or ceramics, uh, such as the white toilet seats, uh, sorry, the white toilet bowls and the white sinks. So it's a very common use thing. And, and, and titanium dioxide, while it has a number of uses, its primary use is to make paint that you paint on the walls. So our products are basically very general use products. And that is one of the reasons that their values are tied to the GDP of the world. That's probably the simplest way to sum it up. Okay, let's let's talk about use of the company. You said you uh, wanted to start off small, you, you're keeping the, the overheads uh, low and you're focused on building the business. Been at it three years. Uh, 2019, you made 21 million net profit. 2020, you made Nirsdama 25 million net profit. You can clearly make money, but as a CEO, uh, your job is, oh, sorry, you're an MD, you're in Australia, aren't you? Um, you you guys- Actually both, CEO both. and managing director. Fantastic. Um, it, you guys can't rest on your laurels. You've got to keep moving, you've got to keep uh, growing. That's what investors want to hear, what new investors want to hear. And I was quite intrigued because when I was reading through your stuff, your PowerPoint talks about growth strategies. Now, that's something I haven't seen in a long time. We used to talk about it in banking. 
and I haven't seen it from companies talk about it. So can we can we just talk about you know where the where the future lies for your company? Look, I'll, I want to even before I cover that specific point, let me just back up and say that when Image Resources um, under uh, my direction and the current board launched in, into a decision to move to production from what Image was, which was an advanced exploration company, we we brought with us a philosophy that says, let's get into production as quickly as possible, as low cost uh, as possible to satisfy what Image had been promising its shareholders for many years, and that is to, to get into production. Let's now do it. And after that, start talking about growth strategy. And here's what I mean by that. We could have started the projects of launching in by saying we've got to do more drilling and we've got to be build more reserves before we're really ready to get into production. Instead, we took the tactic to say, no, we've got enough oil reserves to get started. Let's get started. And by the way, this was at the bottom of a market. This was a contrarian decision at all from the very start. And right after we started into production, the price started climbing. We'll talk about that. It's still climbing today. But the point was, don't spend any more shareholder money looking for more reserves so you have longer mine life. Start with what you have. And once you get positive cash flow, then spend the money on drilling and grow the company. Well, three years later, actually, it only took a couple of years of, of getting into production, and we started expanding our horizons. But we always had in our portfolio 12 projects, and we are only developing the first one right now. As of about a year ago, we started looking at the development of the second one, which is part and parcel to this growth strategy. So I'll jump into that. Look, operating profitably and making money is a very, very good thing, very important. And if you um, look at our propaganda, you will notice that earlier this year, and only our, after only two years of operation, we became debt-free and we paid an inaugural dividend of two cents when the share price was running about 18 cents. So a very healthy return uh, on the investment so far to our current investors. And that was an inaugural dividend, meaning that we're looking to, of course, repeat that. There's not a lot of companies that have launched into production scenario and paid the dividend that fast and reduced their debt to zero, but we have. But the harder part now is, is sustaining that profitability and growing. So we're working on our second project that we already own 100%, looking to develop that one. It will be a lead on to the current project, which when its reserves are done, we'll move to this one. We're actually also working on project number three. And project number three is actually a little bit longer lived, up to 10 years in and of itself. And the concept of the growth strategy for this third project is operating in parallel to what we're doing today. So if you can imagine that we're making 20 million net profit from the current one operation, the second operation can do the same. That means that once we have the aspect of a, a, a two operations simultaneously, the market cap of the company can double just on profitability. We don't want to talk about multiples on earnings. We're just talking about on profitability. But, but, talk, but, but talk to me about this, Patrick, because obviously the, the first answer is kind of, it's the, I think we took, well, it, it indicates a three-year life of mine, but you're looking to expand that, right? So these are small That's deposits correct. with presumably what's small CapEx requirements as well. So they're small, you can expand them a certain uh, 
well, to a certain amount. I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe you can indicate and tell me. The second project, is that similar? Are all 12 projects of similar sizes, and it's just a case of the efficiencies that you can garner by moving equipment from one to the next. Is that how it works? That's exactly right. Look, one of the other things about mineral sands is that we don't have to dig very deep, and the capital equipment to, to relocate to a new mining area is, is very low. I'll give you the example. Starting in 2016, when we launched into production at the current pro project called Boone and Aring, and I know that's a mouthful, but Boone and Aring, uh, we spent $53 million in total capital on the ground to get put into production. That's amazing, right? To pick up from Boone and Aring and move to the next location, it's probably about half that capital. So the cost of moving around is not a lot of money, uh, well covered by the kind of profitability that, that you can get out of running in a mining area for two or three or four or five years. And that's our plan. And to keep moving on. But the third project that we're talking about in and of itself has a 10-year mine life. But I want to go further and keep talking about the growth strategy because while we're really hard set on, we'll have feasibility study numbers later this year, late this year, I should say, that I'm confident we'll show that we've got a, our, our next project ready to start financing and having then two operations. At the same time, we're doing two other aspects of our growth strategy. In our portfolio, we also had a couple of little gold projects that we promised shareholders we wouldn't talk about because we were focused on demonstrating we could be a credible and now sustainable profit-making company. Now, though, we've started looking at this gold project. I mean, look, the price of gold is doing okay. And we actually think that there's a little sleeper project in these two tenements that we have. And we very well may, as the third prong of the growth strategy, be looking at in 2022, a possibility of a small gold operation. No, so the, the, that's, that's, that's the king gold prospect. But, but let, let, let's keep that as an outlier for now. Let, let, let's keep that parked up for now. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to it, I promise. But just, I'm, I'm just intrigued about the planning by you guys about how you efficiently manage these 12 projects and what sense of scale, or when you're going to be able to give a sort of sense of scale to us about um, not just your cash flows, the fact your dividend paying, which is all f fantastic stuff, but you know how you as a player should are positioning yourselves in the context of the global market. You know, you know what do you represent? What could you represent? Because that will also drive your market cap, your share price, people's perception of you as potentially being significantly larger than you are now. So, how do you manage those? Can you know some concurrent and some are you know I guess a ways out. So if you can just paint that picture for us, it'd be really useful. I'll, I'll try to put some perspective to that. You know that's a very interesting thing that you're we're talking about sort of smaller projects and maybe only three or four years of life, and then the next one and another one and on and on. And we have a number of them in our portfolio, so that's absolutely a good point to to talk to. How do we manage that? But I'll start by saying that. You know, the bigger mining companies in mineral sands, such as Iluca and Tronox, would never do what we're trying to do. There is a size that we are working to fill, and there's pro there are projects out there that fit our size. So the strategy is about us being this small to medium-sized company accessing these smaller projects, at least for now, because there's a niche for that, and we've proven it can be very profitable. Having said that, the fourth prong of the growth strategy uh, after the gold, and, and again, that's just an aside, you're absolutely right, but it has the ability to grow real legs. 
And whether we do it or we want to stay mineral sands and we get rid of it and use it to fund the other projects, that's an option for us. Optionality is fantastic. But the fourth prong is about growing in a bigger way. It's about looking outside of our portfolio now that we are profitable and have cash in the bank, no debt. We're looking at finding a development-ready project that has a longer mine life, some mineral resources and ore reserves that can put us into a 15 to 20-year mine life projection. And that is the next, the third level of growth that the company is looking to. And we are actively in that space looking at what's available. Luckily, to start with, all of our existing projects were as good as anything else out there. So we didn't have to look very far. But to grow with that larger sector, that is what we're doing now. And even one foot, but not a lot, not very heavy pressure on that one foot, in exploration space, seeing if we can find some of our own new projects that haven't even been discovered yet. Right. So, so two, two things there. Um, one, exploration. Let's, let's come to that in a second. But if you are looking for larger development projects, are you sticking with Australia? Or are you looking further afield? We've spoken to a few you know, mineral sand companies over the past few months. And we've got some sense of, you know, you know what they're trying to do. But for you, can you just, again, help us understand the timing of that? You know, how ambitious are you when you say scale? What do you, what, what do you mean? So firstly, the strategy is to be very cognizant of understanding the sovereign risk outside of Australia. So initially, the board has been very clear about Start with everything and anything that's in Australia first because, hey, it's the place to mine. We know that. The risk on those other uh, fronts, uh, not the least of which is, is sovereign, is, is just important. But, but look, there's a lot known about what's in Australia. And unless we can find something new, the prospects are beginning to become less and less. The good stuff is, has been found. I think there's still some room for some of these smaller ones and that'll continue. But if the right project came to us outside of Australia and we did the right assessment, of course, we would be in a position to be able to consider capitalizing on that as well. And we've got only about a half an eye looking outside for right now. Overall, I want to say this, though. I see that the plan and the strategy for the company is to grow to be in the $500, $600 million market cap range. And that means operating at a, at a, at a service that we're doing right now. By the way, we're producing about 6% of the world's zircon in the last two years, three years. Um, and I think we can do that and a little bit more um, for for the next 10 years. Okay, interesting. So half an eye on what there is potentially elsewhere outside of Australia uh, for to create scale. Focus on Australia, exploration. I get no debt, producing net good net profit numbers. Presumably, that says to me, for now, not a lot of dilution expected for shareholders. So how much? How are you allocating that cash? Are you putting it all back in the ground? I know there's a, a dividend, which is a reasonable dividend, but how much are you putting back in the ground on this exploration component? It's an interesting di- uh, dimension to mineral sands. You see, because it's relatively shallow and in sand, most of the places, it's not about hard rock drilling. It's all very simple drilling. The cost of exploration is very low. So we won't need to put a lot of it back in the ground. Um, it, it, and, and by the way, of course, when you're a production company, you don't want to spend a lot of money on exploration. That's the hard work. That's the uncertain work. But we have in our, in our repertoire of tools some very interesting tools for exploration. For example, the founding director of the company's fellow named George Sakalaitis is a geophysicist. 
And the reason he amassed this portfolio that today we're bringing into the market and commercializing profitably is that he used these tools to find things that others couldn't find. Well, George is still on my staff. and We are happily still looking now at redeploying his tools and looking outside. And I can't say too much, but we are believing that we will be successful to extend some of our current footprints in areas that other people hadn't been thinking to look yet because of the tool. And the tool is simply ground magnetics. And it's not about the tool as much as it is about the ability of a person to interpret the data. So we're, we're going to be very smart and very controlled about our expenditure and exploration and hoping to use as many dollars as we make either returning to shareholders, but even shareholders know the better places if we invest them, sort of the Warren Buffett effect, we can do better with those dollars on behalf of shareholders if we're very smart as we have been and disciplined about finding additional growth opportunities. And that's what we're doing. That's interesting. So you will accumulate the cash because you're not going to burn through it. Well, it doesn't sound like you're going to burn through it at a rate of knots. So you're going to accumulate cash with the view to potentially um, expanding current current 12 projects. I get it, but I guess the more exciting thing in terms of if you truly want to make an impact on the market and, and drive awareness and interest, it's going to have to be an acquisition. So I come back to it. When you say you've got half an eye on, on that, should you be paying more attention to the acquisition component? Yeah, I, I, I think I maybe said it incorrectly. Half an eye was on exploration. One prong of the growth strategy is definitely looking at acquisitions outside of our portfolio. That's a big one. Got it. Sorry, um, I misunderstood. We, right. Right. And I'd say it's 25% of my time right now is just looking at what else is out there from an acquisition standpoint. We're actively talking to other owners who need somebody such as Image who has proven to be a, a development animal, um, knowing how to do it at low cost, but efficiently and quickly. I want to take you back just a second when we launched into production. We did it all in six months, not only at $52 million, six months. No one thought that could be done. But I'm going to tell you another aspect that it was even better. In the second month of operation, we were at full production. That's unheard of. The normal operating curve to get up to speed is 12 to 18 months. We did it in the second month. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that that we've demonstrated to the market that we have a few tools that we use and know how to, we think, we believe, and I want to do it again. I want to demonstrate that as a second time. Many people say, oh, you got lucky. We did get lucky, but excellent planning really helps the luck, let me tell you. And this is what we want to employ. Um, so I believe that we can take that and be a very, very worthy partner for somebody that may have a development project that they need some help with. The share registry, I mean, how much institutional, how much retail, how much the board hold, how much do you hold? Yeah, look, there's about 980 million shares on issue. It's um, and, and the share price currently is about 16 cents. So we have a $169 million market cap. The share register um, is interesting. The biggest shareholder is probably about 18%. And it is a a zircon manufacturer out of China. This is an investor I brought into Image in 2016, and it helped us to set the company up on a path to production because they were able to give us offtake agreements for the zircon for the life of the project. And zircon represents about 80% of our revenue. So it was a very valuable connection with this particular shareholder. 
In fact, though, when they got, we got started getting him involved, he was at 42% of the shareholder of the, of the share register. And he was happy to stay there. But my goal was to say, if, if we can bring others in, will you dilute? And he did in today's at 18 cent, 18%. Below that, we have a, a couple of individuals. One is a wealthy fellow out of Hong Kong, who's an investor and just likes Zircon. Another is a family group out of uh, Malaysia. And then we have a number of larger institutions here in Australia as well. So from there, it's rather level. Ownership by management and board, uh, of course, the board is represented by those three bigger shareholders in the first instance. So if you count that, of course, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nearly 35% of the register. But if you just count individuals, then in myself, for example, I'm, I'm a fairly uh, reasonable shareholder uh, at about... Uh, at about uh, four and a half, five million shares. Not big in context of percentages, but certainly I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a little skin in the game. The, what's, the, what's, the, what's the history to the sort of Asian connection in, in terms of the investor base? So I, I want to tell you that the very first group was the Malaysian group that has actually been following Image when it was just an exploration company. They, I believe, love investing in exploration in Australia and they've had some successes. And I'd say given where they started with Image, that they have been successful with that one. They've been there the longest. The uh, fellow from China with the Zircon processing came when I joined the company in mid-2016. And in 2017, the, the second biggest shareholder today joined when we were raising funds for the capital for, for launching into production. He came in very boldly and said, look, I like what you guys are doing. I want 20% of the company. Uh, We didn't get it and we couldn't give that to him. We had a few people offering to take that big of a stake, but he ended up taking 10% or getting 10% and he's been a very active buyer in the market since then. He likes the story. He really believes in our growth growth opportunities. Um, And he's actually one of these that's working with companies in the world, looking for different applications for Zircon. So he's actually trying to help build active markets for Zircon and I just think as a non-executive director, that's a great director to have on staff. And t- tell me a little bit about your background and maybe some of the other key staff. You, you obviously mentioned one. And what's the, have you guys come from mineral sands backgrounds? No. I actually, well, first of all, I'll tell you, I've been in mining now for something like 45 years, uh, starting out in the U.S. for many years. But I've now been doing mining in Australia for nearly 20 I had a very, very long history in the uranium industry. And in fact, in 2011, took my first break from the industry as a managing director to take a break to work on a PhD and work on uh, some renovations at the house. And during that break, Fukushima happened. And so there was a disconnect from my longstanding career in uranium. And I suddenly realized, you know, it's time to try a different horse. And at that time, I, uh, a new mineral sands mining company had come to South Australia, where I was domiciled, and I picked up uh, a role as a COO with them because I'm a process guy. And I, I'm a metallurgist by background, and so it was very easy to get involved to help them get started, and we did, and we've been working with them. This is that actually that big shareholder from China who's a Zircon processor. But we've been together for a while because he's, he knows that I know how to do projects. I roll up my sleeves if necessary, 
Um, but of course, today, my real focus should be on marketing and growing the company. And that's what I'm doing. Okay. And, and so here, here are the other key players in terms of operationally? I have picked, handpicked two key players when I first launched into the program with Image. A couple of fellows that I recognized here in Western Australia. One is currently my COO. Uh, at the time, he was doing some consulting work for Image. But I recognize them as one of those kind of guys, like-minded with me, that understands that there are better ways to launch projects than the normal expensive route. And a, and a CFO similarly was doing consulting work for Image. And I tapped them both on the shoulder and said, look, guys, if I get these two companies together and we launch to production, would you join them? And they absolutely said yes, because they like the idea of a vision. And we had a vision from the beginning to grow the company. Obviously, they are still with me. And now we have been populating the company with other, uh, not executives, but managers and supervisors, and we've built a brilliant team. They do some fantastic work. And now they are salivating, waiting for the opportunity to go at it with other projects. Yes, I, I like yeah, I like the fact that you guys decided to get into cash flow sooner, like get, get out of the gate. It's a very, I think it's a very Australian thing. There's a sort of North American mentality of let's make this resource as big as we can possibly make it, and then we'll start thinking about getting into cash flowing position or putting ourselves in a position to get in the cash flowing position. So that, that's, that's interesting to me. I, I guess um, I'd love to sort of maybe hear from you and how you move things forwards on the on the first three projects with regards to get, giving us that scale or indeed indeed M and A. That that'd be interesting. We'd love to love to hear from you on that one. We, let's go back to um, uh, King Gold Prospects, which is your, your farm in, and, and obviously hunting gold. Uh, I saw a press release, quite, quite nice grades. Um, tell us about what your plans are for that. Look, I just want to say one thing, though, about the, the debt piece, that it, for what it's worth. We are debt-free, and that is an important move that we made. We made it purposely, but debt is not a bad thing at all. We did it because we were in a high yield debt situation because we started with as a no name company, basically no credibility. So we had to go with the high yield uh, coupons for our debt. So we had to get rid of those. But importantly, debt is an, a very, very strong tool for us to be able to use going forward, whether it's with M&A or not. But, in, but importantly, also as a profitable going concern, we can now attract very, very low interest debt. If we fail to take advantage of the current situation for being able to get debt and get debt at such low rates, we will really have missed the boat. So I'm excited about making these things come together at the right time for all of us. But the I think that's that's a point that's that's very important for people to understand. Because if you're throwing, if you're creating enough cash flow for to provide the equity component to any projects you may you may have to finance further down the line. The debt is cheap at the moment, um, and that, that means you can move quickly. I guess that's going to be quite attractive to a lot of people too. Okay. Notice. Exactly. And Matthew, that's a, this is the point about the nexus, I guess, about what I'm trying to say. It's very easy to go to shareholders and have to ask for more money, and the dilution effect is real. We all know that. What, what I'm trying to do is as much as possible where I can rely on either our cash and or debt to prevent the dilution going forward because I don't like being at 980 million shares. I'm going to be fine with that once we're at a dollar a share. But for today, that to me is still, let's not go any further on the dilution, stand on our own two feet, make our projects pay for our growth, 
and use the banking system, especially with the low interest rates, and go out and grow. And that's what we're on a, on a target to do. Brilliant. King Gold, what are we doing? King Gold. So King Gold was very interesting in that it was one little tenement hosted amongst the two that we had. And it had the mineralization that ours only had sniffs of. It was important for us to do a deal on the owners, private owners of this small tenement within our bigger tenement package to understand the model, the geology model. So we went to them and made it very clear, hey, we can try to do something to help you and we'll make sure you profit by it. When we do deals, they're win-win deals. That's the only way to do them in my opinion. So we we worked out a earn-in, farm-in uh, arrangement and we are well into that now. In fact, I think there'll be a completion of the first stage of earn-in. It's already actually completed. We just have to actually do the administrative work around that. But here's the point. It's a low-risk low-cost entry into gold, and it's all about doing it, again, smartly by capturing that small piece, which allows us to really understand the overall geological model for the gold deposition. We are well up the curve now on understanding that. Um, Our founding director that I mentioned, uh, George Sakalaitis, is a gold hound. He's got another gold project on his own that he's doing very, very well with because he knows what he's looking for, and he's still on our team to help us look for what that looks like, and we are making progress. So the idea, just to cover off on what we might do with it, is to create another leg of optionality for image. The optionality being that we might be able to turn this into a small, profitable, lower grade, but uh, but profitable uh, gold mining operation, which I would be fine adding that into our portfolio. Or we might be able to use that to piggyback on a sale or a joint venture with others so that we can create some more capital to invest in more mineral sense projects. I, and again, I don't know which way that will go yet. I'm fine with, with ever. I think it will create some value for shareholders. Okay, so um, when you say you've got a better picture of, of what's going on there, how, mu- how many meters have been drilled? Uh, I know I noticed a lot of RC drilling going on there. So uh, what can you tell us about the drilling? How much has been spent? How much more time, money, and effort are you going to put into it for making a decision? Look, on a historic and current basis, because currently we're just doing confirmatory drilling to the historic drilling so we can bring it up to the JORP 2012 standard. But in total, there's probably been more than 12,000 meters drilled. It's a relatively shallow deposit. We don't have to look deep just yet. And that's very important for launching into a low-cost capital mining operation. And then even then, do we set up our own processing operation or do we look at toll processing? Very low-cost entry. I think there will be something here. And the gold price, of course, is helping. So it has to be something to strike while everything is still in very good steed. If not, uh, it'll run out of steam. Um, does that does that answer your question? Well, it's, it's, it's a case of um, you know when you said to me, okay, mineral sands exploration is actually quite low cost, right? Great, you know, you know, it's not rock; it's 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 a much simpler process. Gold, not so much. You know, I know you're doing a lot of RC, but if you get into you know diamond drilling, it's going to get a little bit more expensive. So you've got to, in your mind, so say a view of look, we'll take it so far. Then we'll pop our heads up and have a look around who might be interested in it, uh, or indeed if we move it forward, what we're prepared to spend on this, because it is potentially a distraction from what is, which looks like quite a nice business, very profitable business, overall with the mineral sands. So that, that's, I guess, the debate you're having internally. It is, and in fact, it's one that we have, as I mentioned earlier, 
purposely stayed away from to make sure that we made it clear to shareholders we will not be distracted by this. It will only be done in our spare time by a different set of team, usually just consultants and, and contractors. Um, and, and perspective-wise, before we get through spending our first million, I expect this will have an initial mineral resource um, uh, estimate that will tell us quickly whether it has legs. Um, so again, I don't see this as a long commitment or a big commitment. It's cast and planned to be a low cost entry to get to tangible results, which is a mineral resource estimate that can then be talked about from a standpoint of a scoping study and feasibility study, low costs again, I would say maybe another million dollars before this could actually be a development project. Fantastic. Well, like um, that gives me a very good overview of the project, the way you think, more importantly for me. So I'm most fascinated by by that in terms of decision making. Um, I'd say let's stay in touch. Let's know how you get on on all fronts, uh, especially the kind of expansion component, the exploration component, because that that could, that could be where it starts to get exciting for you. Thank you very much, Matthew. Look, I, I, I'm confident that there will be additional news flow that will complement all of the things that I've talked about today. That news flow could start in the next few months and will continue for the next 12 to 18 months. I would like, if you can, give me one more minute to just mention one more point about the company. And that being that in addition to all of these nice things that we've talked about, which are the crux of the business, we are also, as we are growing, recognizing, though, that there are many other aspects to the business besides just the profitability side. You know, we all are hearing more and more about ESG, and, and, and we are no exception. But in fact, we have actually started that process early on. Remember, I mentioned earlier about we have a philosophy about win-win. That doesn't go to just deals that we might do with as partners on the ground, but that does work. That's, that's important about the community landowners and everything else we do in our business because we affect a lot of people. And we started out early on with a very strong commitment to be positive with our relations on the ground in the community and with our landowners. And we continue that. Uh, we also are doing that environmentally. And I'll just give you two quick examples from the environmental side of how we're already thinking big from a company standpoint, even though we're small. The first one is that we are, we, we put in a solar uh, plant on our property. From the get-go, we started talking about it. It is now up and running and offsetting about 25% of our um, electricity requirements as solar renewable energy right here on our property. We didn't have to. We had grid power, but it's the right thing to do, and we've, we've committed to do that. And now we are turning around and working with landowners and looking at carbon sequestration testing on these properties where we are working to find out if there's ways to enrich the surface area of their properties to actually absorb carbon. The government's looking at ways to incentivize uh, landowners to do this, and we're trying to work with landowners to help that. So I'm just trying to make a couple of quick examples. The third, the last example is about mine rehabilitation. It's very, very important in mining to get a hands on re rehabilitation. And we purposely, within the first, within the end of the second year, we demonstrated that we had about 13 hectares already completely backfilled and rehabilitated and revegetated just to show and demonstrate how quickly coincidental mining and rehabilitation can work. And we've already now put the first 
runs on the board, and that will continue as we go forward. Yes, I saw the pictures in the in the PowerPoint. It was amazing you, the way you were kind of backfilling and um, revegetating the landscape. That's impressive. You did mention something in there about carbon sequestration research, and you know, I'm just wondering what your what your views on that are because we do get companies come on here and say, "Well, we'll buy carbon credits," which is a you know. It seems a cheat, quite frankly. Uh, you know what? What? What is your? Is what is your approach to that uh, discussion? You know, the harder path, the harder path to the whole idea of carbon awareness and working with systems to make it real. The harder path is what I'm talking about: doing projects that really do offset, and in some case, hope to lock it up. Um, having said that, there's nothing wrong with buying carbon credits because if they're done correctly, those credits are working towards projects in a bigger way. I don't know if we can all do little things here and there, but um, you know, if, and, and as you get bigger, maybe that's the better way. But get the credits where they're applied in other parts of the world to still accomplish the same thing. I'm open to it. I just think we should always have our eyes open for trying to do something on the ground ourselves and helping, especially in this case, if we're successful with what we're trying to do, it actually improves the yields of crops on the ground for the landowners in the future. Not for us, but for them. And I, and I think that's a way we are trying to set ourselves up to put, you know, put a little back, give a little back that lasts beyond us being there. Because we'll be gone in a few years uh, from that area, and hopefully there's a legacy that continues beyond us. I love that point. What a wonderful point to leave this uh, discussion on. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate your time. Very good. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.